Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Well, church, we are uh, beginning a, a new sermon series, uh, which I know that you are excited about uh, for our summer, uh, summer set of, of sermon series through, through June. Uh, our sermon series is called Out of Context. See, I believe and I know because I've experienced it, context matters. Uh, when I was in, uh, in Belize uh, for my very first international mission trip uh, with a youth group, I was the leader of this, this mission trip. Uh, we took a group of students uh, with my, my wife and I, took a group of students to figure out, uh, to, to minister to these people in Belize. And uh, so we were doing a, a run of VBS so we would go door to door, like knocking on, knocking on doors and inviting people to VBS. Well, none of us really spoke uh, very good Spanish. I wish we would have had you um, uh, at, on our trip, but we didn't speak very good Spanish. And so uh, we were trying to kind of get this broken Spanish out uh, to invite them to, um, to camp. Uh, and uh, so we would go to the door and a, a parent would come and we'd invite them and their kids, uh, their niños, to come and do a VBSA uh, in the uh, Parco de Centro, you know, like uh, just really broken, you know, um, trying to get it across. And, uh, and so, but when a kid would come to the door, we didn't want to like just invite the kid and then the kid comes running off with us to VBS. I think that's called kidnapping. And so, um, so we didn't want to do that. So we would say, um, esta tu mamá aquí? And so we would invite, we would ask, you know, is, is your mom here? And have her come to the, to the door and then we'd, then we'd ask. But every time we would say this to the kid, we just kept getting this like really weird, perplexed look. And we didn't understand like, and then the mom would come, go, go and get mom and mom would come and like with this like just really ticked off look on her face and she would immediately shut us down like no gracias, uh, no gracias, you know. And so we went back to our, our sponsor, our chaperone, um, who was like through the mission organization that we were working with. And we told her what we were saying. Uh, we said, uh, you know, we said, tu mama aquí? And she, like her eyes got really big. And she held her hand over her face and like started laughing under her breath. And she goes, you weren't asking for their mom. You were calling their mother effort. <laughs> And so well, what we recognized in that moment is that context matters. In, in, Belize, in Belize, that phrase means something very different than asking for their mom. Church, context matters. In our, in our sermon series, we're going to be looking at different one-liners throughout Scripture. These, these messages, these verses that we pull out of Scripture um, in the over seven over, over 700,000 words that are in the Bible, we can pull out scriptures, pull out words, pull out phrases, and make it say whatever we want. 
And oftentimes, we take these, these one-liners out of context, and we make them life verses that oftentimes mean something completely different than what they are intended for. They become taglines. They become get-out-of-jail-free cards. They become justifiers of our behaviors. They become uh, phrases to win campaigns or to cope with loss that we experience. Today, we're going to look at the phrase in Scripture in Matthew chapter 7 that says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. But we know, we know that there are people, there are situations, there are circumstances that just deserve to be judged, right? There was a TikTok trend recently uh, where people were putting mustard on watermelon, judged, hashtag judged, like you should be judged for that ridiculousness. Uh, My boy, Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, my dude, he puts ketchup on his steak, like judged, that's not okay. And you know that he's not eating this like flat, um, dry steak. He's eating good steak and still putting uh, Whataburger spicy ketchup on it. And it's just not okay. Judged. Not okay. So in our passage today, Matthew chapter 7, right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these words, do not judge or you too will be judged. You see, culture has shortened this phrase to don't judge me. You've heard that before? Don't judge me. Miley Cyrus, uh, in one of her famous songs, you know it's a, an interesting sermon when the pastor's quoting Miley Cyrus. <laughs> she said in her song, We Won't Stop, remember, only God can judge us. Forget the haters, because somebody loves you. You see, our culture has taken this phrase from the Bible, shortened it, co-opted it, and weaponized it to perpetuate or justify sin. This, this culture of moral relativism where, uh, where you can't judge me because I'm living my truth. I'm doing me. This is my truth. It's a challenge that not just we face in our time, but has been faced all throughout biblical history. Even back to Judges in the, one of the most dark seasons of Israelites' history, the, the author of Judges writes these words in Judges 21 to end this chapter of brokenness in the Israelite people. There was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You can't judge me. This is my truth. I'm doing what is right in my own eyes. So what did Jesus mean? I mean, these are Jesus' words. What did Jesus mean when he said, do not judge or you too will be judged? Surely he didn't mean that we're supposed to just ignore injustice in our world. Surely he didn't mean that we were supposed to just accept depraved behavior in and amongst our society. Surely he didn't mean that we have no responsibility to one another. Even back at Cain and Abel, when, uh, when, when God confronts Cain for killing his brother, he says, who am I, my brother's keeper? And God says, yes, you are. You, we are responsible for one another. Surely we were not just meant to live out this Christian life in solitary confinement 
to just stay in our lane and just do, the, do righteousness and be as good as we can and, and not have any responsibility for our neighbors around us. So what in the world was Jesus saying when he said, do not judge or you too will be judged? Because it doesn't seem, the way the world has co-opted this phrase doesn't seem to fit the context of the gospel, especially not the context of Jesus' ministry. And so we see this, this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, if you remember, in Matthew's gospel is this, um, this kind of preamble to Jesus' ministry. It's like a, a highlight, a recap, an introduction to all of Jesus' ministry. He's talking about this, this time, this period where the, the kingdom of heaven is intersecting with the kingdom of the world. And the kingdom of heaven intersecting with the kingdom of the world means that there will be conflict. That these two things are very different and the way that we interact within the kingdom of the world should look different than the rest of the world. You remember the, the, the message in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill, right? In a, in a darkened place, you should look different. You are the salt of the earth. Don't hide your light under a bushel, but, but let it be known, let it be seen to all of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise the Father in heaven. You see, in this kingdom come, this kingdom of God intersecting, lives would be dramatically different. The call of a Christian would be dramatically different than the rest of the world. And so how do we function in that? That's part of the context of this passage. He's also acknowledging that this is an uphill battle for the Christians. Because the common way of, of interaction between the pagan world and the, and the religious world is that of the Pharisees who, who condemned and looked down on, who, uh, who held this high pride of, of religion, uh, this high standard, and anyone who didn't follow that standard was wrong. And so Jesus is really, in this passage, calling out this double standard that the, the Pharisees held. This double standard where their hearts were broken, but they, they lived a righteous and pious outside appearance of life. So then we enter into our text. In, in Matthew chapter seven, starting in verse one through verse five, hear these words from scripture. Do not judge, this is Jesus talking, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be used on you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and then pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So as we dive into this passage, there's two things I want us to, to kind of, fr to help us frame what Jesus is talking about here. First, um, this is an interaction between two brothers. The word here, brothers, that we see, why don't you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? This, this idea of brothers is not a, a term that would be used between a Jew and a Gentile, uh, but it would be between a Jew and a Jew. Between two people who call themselves 
uh, religious, between two people who call themselves followers of God, God's chosen people. They have claimed an identity of being followers of God. And so he's saying in this, in this coming kingdom, as we interact with one another, this, this is a message for how we interact with the inside within the church. This is not a message on how we ought to interact with the outside. That's another sermon. But today, I, th- I think when we see this passage, it's oftentimes uh, used as Christians don't judge me outside of the church, not Christian. So, uh, so number one, this is an interaction between two, bro- two brothers. If they claim the name of Christ, then they are fair game. Hear that. If they claim the identity of Christ and they are putting themselves under that same banner and calling themselves brothers, and this is for us, for us in that interaction. Number two, the end goal here is that both of these people walk away healed and healthy. That both of these people walk away seeing clearly. This is not just a, um, I have my sin and you have your sin and you walk in your lane and I'll walk in my lane and I'll walk with my plank and you walk with your, your speck of sawdust. And we'll just ignore, ignore these big issues and we'll just keep going. The goal of this text is that both people, that both people end this interaction healed, restored, and renewed. Those are key. So I think there's two attitudes that are laid out in this text that Jesus is, is putting up against each other. The first is that of the Pharisees, this judgment is self-righteous pride from a distance. Judgment, the judgment that Jesus is talking about here in this text is self-righteous pride from a distance. It is, it is me saying that I am clearly better than you. That I acknowledge your sin and that I, righteous and holy, am better than you. Whether that takes form in gossip, whether that takes form in... Um, in public humiliation, whatever form that takes, this judgment that Jesus is talking about, that Jesus is condemning, is self-righteous pride from a distance. You see, the Pharisees were righteous. They, they followed every law that God gave to a T. There were 613 laws in the Old Testament. And on top of those 613 laws, they, uh, they created this thing called the Mishnah, which is um, a set of teachings and... Um, and uh, interpretations of the text. And so they would create uh, thousands upon thousands of additional rules and laws that you needed to follow if you were in the Jewish faith that helped to flesh out the 613 laws that, uh, that Jesus gave us in the Old Testament. You see, they, they, they fleshed these things out, but they were never intended to be. All of these rules that they, these additional rules that they put on the table were not intended to be in scripture. And so they were, they were holding these things over because nobody can follow thousands of laws and keep them to a T other than the, the religious elite whose whole life is dedicated to following each and every one of these laws. And so they would hold it over your head and say, you need to get better because, and be like us because we are better than you a self-righteous pride from a distance. You see, we see the the heart of the Pharisees uh, 
portrayed beautifully in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 18, uh, 11 through 14, we see the Pharisees standing in the temple courts praying before God. And the Pharisee says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I give 10th of all that I get, verse 13. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. Jesus tells the people, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, the Pharisee justified himself and judged the tax collector. He justified his own behavior, his own actions, his own rightness, his own goodness, and, and judged the tax collector. While the tax collector judged himself and God sent him away justified. You see, when we judge someone, we see their actions, and it's like standing behind a barrier, and we just lob these correction grenades. We stand at a distance, or through a screen, or behind their backs, and we tell them all of the ways that they are wrong, whether they know it or not. We do all of this without ever coming into proximity with them so that they might actually get a good glimpse at our life. We do it in such a way that is, that is held off from them, from, from relationship, from proximity. Maybe because we're afraid that they might see our plank and might call us on that. You see, we judge the woman at the store for wearing scandalous clothes, but then we turn around and we search pornography on our phones or, um, or at, in the privacy of our home. We've got a plank in our own eye. Supply is there because the demand is there. We judge someone for, for bullying or for gossip, and then we turn around and go to our prayer group and we do the whole prayer gossip thing, right? Where we, we say we need to pray for Susie Right, because, because Susie and her husband are, are kind of going through a thing. My, my friend is her neighbor and heard, heard him screaming all night at each other. And then he got in his car and took off and he hasn't been back since. We need to pray for them. Right, that's, that's it's the same thing. But we, we wrap it in our justification. We wrap it up in our goodness, in our rightness. These are, these are things that are gonna happen. Right, judgmental thoughts are going to come into our minds. We're going to be tempted to lean into that. But when, we, when that, that, those judgmental thoughts come up, do not be so quick to act. But take a moment, take a moment to ask yourself why. Why am I, why does that disturb me? That, that thing that I see in them? Because maybe, just maybe, maybe that will, will show you that there's a plank in your own eye. Begin to ask with humility, why is it that I'm disturbed by that? Before we act for our, towards our brother or our sister, begin to ask the question, why do I want to call them out on that? 
Why do I want to point out that wrong in their life? We may acknowledge that there are wrong things and we may have the right answer, but how we interact with that means, means the, has the world a difference. Am I doing this? Am I calling them out? Am I judging them? Am I um, acknowledging that, that speck in their eye so that they might know that they're wrong so that I can boost myself up while I put them down? So I can show the gap between them and me that I'm better than you? Or do I desire to bring them to restoration? Is my goal to bring them to healing and restoration? This is the the prideful self-righteousness that Jesus is calling out in this passage of when he says, do not judge me or do not judge or else you, lest you be judged. Let me be clear. What he's not doing in this passage is calling him to ignore the speck in his brother's eye. He's not calling them to walk, to just, just walk and ignore the sin in his brother's life. In fact, to love one another is to seek healing and restoration for one another. So while Jesus is calling out judgment in this passage, he is also, I believe, defining accountability. And he's setting these two things, these two notions, these two concepts against each other. The second attitude is, that, is one of accountability. And what we see in this passage is that accountability requires humble proximity. While judgment is self-righteous pride from a distance, accountability requires humble proximity. This image that, that, uh, that Matthew uh, in the gospel portrays is one that would be a hilarious image to imagine someone walking down the street seeing a speck in the other's eye and this giant plank hanging out of your eye. Right? This, this image is meant to just conjure up like ridiculousness, to be a parody on how, how, how insane this is for this to happen. I mean, even just the idea of, of walking up to somebody on the street and saying, oh, you have a speck in your eye. Let me, why don't you lay down on this, on this bench and I'll, let, me, let me dig into your eye and get this speck out. Right? It's, a, it's something that would never happen in, uh, in the normal run of a day, that some random stranger would, would walk up to you and take a speck of dust out of your eye, a speck of saw, sawdust out of your eye. For me to allow someone to do that would require an incredible amount of trust and intimacy. I'm not letting just some random guy dig in my eye. I think the kind of the image that Jesus is painting here is that this accountability, this this, um, intimacy to be able to, to acknowledge one another's flaws requires proximity. It requires intimacy. In fact, um, the idea that someone has a plank in their eye, how could they even get close enough to someone to even begin to, to work on their eye? It says you can't even see clearly to meet the needs that someone has, to call out an, an, another brother because we have this, this big sin that's right in front of us that's preventing us from proximity, that's preventing us from getting close. I think this is absolutely key. There's an intimacy and a trust required for accountability that cannot be present in the midst of judgment. 
Jesus talks all about accountability. He is all about the accountable relationships of the ch- in the church. In Matthew chapter 18, he speaks directly to this idea of accountability. He says, if, if your brothers and sisters sins, this insider language, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their faults. This is a command. This is what we are supposed to do in the church is point out one another's faults in the, within the church. But get this. But just between the two of you. Not in a public forum where, where we put somebody in a corner or call them out in a huge room. But between the two of us, there's this moment of intimacy, this moment of vulnerability, this moment of accountability that's portrayed in this message. Just between you two. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. You've won them back into the fold. This is the goal. Healing and restoration. But if they will not listen, take, take one or two others along with you. That every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Even if they don't listen in, in small group or small community, even if they don't listen in your band group with, with, with one-on-one, if they don't listen in a small group, then take it before the church. And church, this is where we come in. When someone's sin comes before the church, are we quick to judge? Or is our goal accountability and restoration in their lives? We see the the failings of church leaders time and time again. And we're really quick to judge. Our goal as the church, when someone comes before the church in sin, is to bring them back to restoration. And if they still choose to listen, treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. It doesn't mean that we hate them, that we despise them, that we push them to to the margins and ignore them. But the pagans and the tax collectors, if you look at the way Jesus interacts with the pagans and the tax collectors, he's the one that's eating with them on a regular basis. But I think what this does mean is that we are not called to hold non-Christians to a Christian standard. Those who are outside of the church, um, we can't expect them to live their lives like a moral Christian. But if they claim the name of Christ, there ought to be a level of accountability for those people. If they are operating outside of the church, outside of a Christian faith, outside of, of, of their understanding of, of God's grace and love and, uh, and law and, and, um, and, and desire for them, then our goal, our job is to, to walk alongside them in fellowship and in love. Accountability requires intimacy. It requires us to get close, to be proximal. I'm gonna pause here, and I think there's a a side note that Jesus is playing out in this text. If you are in a season of recognizing the plank in your eye, you're gonna be keenly aware of the speck in everybody else's eye. If you're recognizing in your life that you have a sin that is unrepentant sin in your life, you're gonna be seeing that same thing in everybody else's life because you're keenly aware of it. 
Do not begin to start trying to take the speck out of everybody else's eye in order to fix your problem. Jesus specifically says, remove your plank first. Then you will be able to see clearly enough to remove the speck from from your neighbor's eye. A.J. Swoboda, a Wesleyan, um, Wesleyan scholar, says that we are not called to minister out of our wounds, but to minister from our scars, from, our he- from the places in which we have already been healed. There's a, a different perspective when we uh, have found healing than when we are still hurting. And when we are hurting, we hurt others. Hurt people end up hurting people, oftentimes unintentionally, Even in our best efforts to bring healing to the other, when we are in the position of helper, we oftentimes draw people back into the space that we are. If you're struggling to find peace, you're not the one that's supposed to bring others to a place of peace. If you are struggling with sexual sin, you're not called to be the one that helps to bring others out of sexual sin. Because in order to do that, it requires a deep level of honesty and vulnerability. And the whole time, we're going to be posturing, trying to make the other person think that we're in a better place than we are. And it's going to stunt our growth and oftentimes lead them to a place of false healing. Instead, what if the image is that, that we recognize the plank in our own eye, we recognize the speck in our brother's eye, and we walk alongside, we come together and say, hey, I'm broken, you're broken, let's go find a doctor together. Let's walk this road of healing together. I'm not in a place of being better than you, but I'm alongside you, and, and we can find a healer together. We can find someone who can help bring us to a place of wholeness and healing and restoration together. That's the beautiful image of accountability, of, of, of friendship, of, of this, this walk that we are called into. I want to close with this. Church, this call to don't, not to judge one another, in this call, I believe the goal is healing of the body. It's edification of one another. And this requires humility, a willingness to be corrected, a willingness to correct. And none of this can be done from a distance. From a distance, it's judgment. In proximity, it's accountability. In humility, it's accountability. I pray that this is a call not to judge, but it's actually a call to deeper community a call to accountability in the body of Christ. So who is that person? Who is that person that you are called into deeper community to bring accountability to? We are not meant, we are not meant to idly live out our lives and just allow sin in our brothers and sisters to happen. We are meant in love to restore one another in the truth of the gospel, that, that is the love that Jesus paints, the picture that Jesus paints in this text. Let's pray.
Holy Spirit, in your goodness and your might and your power, you bring transformation. God, we, we don't have the ability to pull the plank out of our own eye, but we, when we come to you, we, uh, we find healing and restoration in your grace. God, lead us and guide us in this season of searching out accountability. Lead us to band groups, people who love us and can call us to a greater holiness. Lead us to, to small group. Lead us to, um, to find places of people who love us. God, I pray against these surface level relationships within the church. God, I pray for depth that actually brings proximity and, and love, that actually brings accountability in Christ that we would be humble enough to allow others to see the hurt and to see the brokenness in our lives so that we might be healed. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen.